Hello, everybody. Before we start this podcast today, I just want to let you know that I'm not sponsored in any way by any company. There is no ads here. But if you do want to see the products that I promote and the books that I have written, you can see all of that and all of the links to all of my social media accounts and Instagram, YouTube, and so on. All of that is on my website, noticebooks.org. N-O-T-U-S books.org, not us books.org. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Ryan. How are you, Sherry? I'm good. So today, we've wanted to talk about this for a little while because it does come up sometimes. Borderline personality disorder. And it's a bit of a strange one for us because it's not really a nutritional problem. You know, like we talked about last time with depression, anxiety, there's a lot of nutritional things that can impact your mood and your overall mental health. But borderline personality disorder in its diagnosis and in its how long it stays around after nutrition is corrected maybe forever it completely separates it out and it deserves its own conversation so like i said i do appreciate you joining me here for this i don't like recording these on my own and i do believe you have some questions and if you'd like to start with that i'd be happy to do that yeah no problem absolutely i enjoy doing these with you um well i don't know if you want to talk about yourself first or you want to like just maybe touch up on what is um, borderline personality disorder. So maybe for the people that don't know what it is, the symptoms, etc. Well, I will talk about myself because I have been diagnosed with this. Uh, I don't even remember when the first diagnosis was. It was a long time ago, but it does seem to be correct. And this is also what makes it a strange one is that normally we tell people not to identify with their illnesses, especially if it's one that is directly connected to nutrition like diabetes, you know, we don't want you calling yourself a diabetic, that's of no use. You're a completely normal person for all intents and purposes, but you have a blood sugar problem. Same thing with bipolar, ADD, ADHD, it doesn't actually reflect on who you are. But in the case of borderline personality disorder, the diagnosis is actually about who you are and how you react to things, how you see people in yourself in the world. So the we could start with the good news in here, though. The good news is that somebody with borderline personality disorder, whether it's you or if you know somebody, if it's one of your children or somebody you're trying to have a relationship with, you, you do also need to identify this. You do need to be aware of it. But the good news is you can do something about it. They can do something about it. And they're not psychotic. They're not neurotic. And that's, in fact, why it's called borderline personality disorder, because they couldn't figure out what to call it, because it's really not truly psychotic. It's really not truly neurotic. You know, it falls, it falls somewhere in between. The other word for it is emotionally unstable personality disorder. And that's probably much, much more appropriate. And you can almost always trace this directly back to their own story of their childhood. You know, it is going to have a lot to do with how they were raised, but it's more good news here. It's not really an abuse problem. You know, some, some of them might have been abused to some extent, experience, you know, whatever, molestation or belting a few times. But very generally, stories are of neglect. They're either of being alone, literally, or feeling alone. You know, parents that worked all the time. My case, mom's on day shift, nights on dad, uh, sorry, dad's on night shift. You know, never really see either of them for that much quality time. Never really have that much direct exposure to parental love and oversight and, and these things that, that form our connections with our elders and our community and our authority and 
is sort of how we form ourselves around, right? So an absence of a family, you know, of any kind or culture to attach to, it can be very empty. It can be very meaningless and or seem so. And so d these people can have a lot of problems in life. You know, most of the, the diagnosis is about their inability to have effective relationships, the inability to show up for work every day, the likelihood that they're going to be involved in crime, the likelihood that they're going to be involved in addictions, the likelihood that those addictions are going to be so serious that they're going to kill them. And those deaths will be ruled out. They'll be ruled drug overdoses unrelated to BPD, probably because it's, you know, it doesn't go that deep on the autopsy table. And they have a very high likelihood of either suicide itself or suicidal behavior, suicidal attempts or threats, you know, using it in, in an emotional reaction kind of thing, using it maybe as a, as a game pawn to play with others, which is one of, the, one of the things that can get people into trouble if they're not actually aware of this. If, if someone's been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and they don't do anything about it, I mean, they're, they're very likely to fall into a mindset where, you know, none of this even, even really matters. They're, they're not trying to overcome it. So they're not going to replace these thoughts. And the likelihood of them making it to 40, 50 years old is, is unlikely itself. But the good news along with this is that although a lot of the core dramas in the mind of a borderline personality disorder person can be quieted just by time, just by getting older, that's part of the good news is that they're, they're really less likely to be plagued by these problems later in life. A lot of these is focusing on, you know, past, just like depression, anxiety, things that happened in the past, you know, dwelling on the past, dwelling on past mistakes, dwelling on thoughts like I'm not good enough or I'll never get her back or whatever it is that's keeping you in the spiral. And when we become older, we tend to just, we get more responsibilities and we tend to be thinking more about our job and our kids and our, you know, our spouse and, what we got to do on the weekend and you know we got this birthday party you just get caught up with thinking about practical things rather than the past and that's a lot of lifting yourself out of depression a lot of people don't even realize it you know they do just end up moving on and continuing with life and end up being distracted by the little things and not plagued by the things that were causing the depression in the first place which is likely the negative thoughts so the diagnosis is problematic, like all psychological disorders. You know, it's not 100%. You can't 100% say this person has borderline personality disorder, and, and that's not our intention here. But if you have been given this diagnosis, it's probably for a reason. They don't just give it out. It's not, it's not autism, you know. And to my knowledge, there's not really that many specialists out there specializing in borderline personality disorder, so there's not that much pay incentive for, for professionals to, you know, get in on this game. And... Another thing to mention here is that drugs, psychiatric drugs, psychoactive drugs, have a pretty low success rate with this anyways. They don't report much success, less than other more normal, more widespread psychiatric problems, just like depression, anxiety, or bipolar, ADD, ADHD. They report pretty good success with drugs, so they say, but they say that those same drugs are pretty ineffective with borderline people. And the only thing that does have any real success is cognitive behavioral therapy, which you and I talked about that. The interesting thing about cognitive behavioral therapy is, first you, first of all, you can do it by yourself, so it can be free. You can buy a book at the thrift store. You go to your local Salvation Army, there's probably a book on cognitive behavioral therapy there, and it hasn't changed that much. And you can also do it with professional guidance. And th it's the same sort of strategies that you would find all throughout the uh, personal development world is what was interesting to me because I looked into borderline personality disorder 
I was pretty disappointed with the overall literature. I found it more interesting, actually, older books about orphans, orphan psychology, um, you know, abandonment, uh, emotionally <clears throat> absent mothers and the resulting children. Um, these are mostly books from the 70s, early 80s, before it became more about neurotransmitters and genes. And the modern psychology is very not helpful to me in that regard. Tracing the genetic probability or something really doesn't help us do much about it. So the the only other really even useful literature, and I, I'm, you hear me hesitating, is because there's a lot of books in modern times about psychopaths, narcissists, you know, there's a lot of stuff about empathy and remorse and all this out there, and some of it does correlate to borderline. Some of the, the empathy, remorse things, some, some of these people could be actually diagnosed as a psychopath, basically is what I'm saying, or a narcissist. And they could actually just have borderline personality disorder and they are able to love and stuff, you know, they are a human being, they just got some problems. And I'm not even ready to say that pure psychopathy even really truly exists. You know, I, I do lean much more towards the environment producing who we are. And in the case of borderline, it seems to be absolutely the case, right? They say there's some correlation with parents. If your parents are depressed or whatever, you're more likely to have borderline. Well, of course, so your parents are depressed they're more likely to be absent from you, right? They're less likely to take an active role in your emotional, spiritual, physical environment. You know, physical is the easiest one. If nobody's there, then they're obviously not there emotionally either. And they're not going to really be part of your emotional world. And it is most important in those early years. And that's why we get orphans. That's why we know we have to touch babies in the orphanage. You got to tickle their feet and stuff. If you don't, they become psychopaths or something close to it. And borderline personality disorder can look very close to it. So I want to stop there, Sherry, for a sec, because I just, I just kind of said a lot. I want to give you a chance to comment or, or follow into a, a related question. Mm, um, yeah, I guess. I just wanted to – I actually did have a question I kind of forgot. Um, but when were you, like, diagnosed, I guess, with, um, with, the, with, that mental, with this mental illness? Anybody who's going to have a borderline personality is going to have carried the symptoms forever. It's not going to show up when you're 35. It's not going to happen like that. If you're depressed at you're 35, you're just depressed. You know, I've met a lot of people who claim to be depressed and anxiety. And by saying the word claim, I'm not discounting them at all. I'm just saying this. We don't diagnose people. They tell us what's going on. So a ton of these people have these problems. Very rarely is anyone going to come out and say, I have borderline personality disorder. Those that do are always going to bring you back to their childhood. 100% of the time. I've never met one, never heard of one in any of these studies or anything. Never heard of a case study where somebody did not have a screwed up childhood. And again, I, I don't mean being hit with a belt. I was never hit with a belt. You know, my dad worked night shift. He never hit me with a belt. He never molested but me. When I'm reading, it says that it, 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 um, it starts to show up in adulthood. Like it doesn't show up like when you're young. Well, that's because you're you're more likely to just be kind of singled out as maybe a bad kid or something like that when you're a kid, right? It really only shows up in, in your inability to form adult relationships, healthy adult relationships, healthy work commitments, right? The, by the time they reach adulthood, it's usually in crisis level that they are being diagnosed because they're an they're a drug addict. They're, they're homeless. You know, I mean, I was sent to psychologist. I was homeless. I was a drug addict, right? If I didn't get my own self together, I, I never would have gotten out of that. And a lot of people who have this diagnosis, if you do meet them and they, again, they're 35, 40 years old, they're lucky to be alive. And I don't mean just like living, breathing. I mean, 
lucky they're not in an alleyway somewhere, you know, and you don't have long to live as a, as an addict's life or an alcoholic's life, constantly running from confrontation and escaping problems this is one of the problems in, in borderline personality is escaping and, and the likelihood for self abuse to avoid the, 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 your own, you know, destructive thoughts, basically either based on the past or fear of the future, you know, those are the two, those are the two most common inability to accept the past or fear of the future, you know? And a lot of this is not accepting responsibility and this is just normal stuff, but the normal person can avoid a lot of responsibility in life, but they can show up to work every day, right? They can take a little bit of guff from their boss and not, you know, feel like beating them to death right there, right? Some of these people can become extremely violent, and it is because they do have an extreme emotional reaction. And in saying this, I'm not excusing this behavior in myself or in other people. It's justified in their mind based on their emotional experience of the time because they're in an emotional cloud. It's an emotional blackout. And it's, again, not excusing it. But on that hand, drugs don't really do much for it. And putting them in jail obviously doesn't really solve the problem, although I bet there's a lot of people in jail with this diagnosis or, again, something similar. They might be called a psychopath because they actually were violent and because their attitude now, and you could, you could feel them acting like a child, and we're going to get into that, but their attitude now is for them to even play that up, right? So if they're being examined by a psychologist and you're in jail or you're, you're in the principal's office or whatever, and they say, how do you feel about authority? You, you might go overboard to exaggerate your feelings and your toughness and your lack of empathy or remorse, it's just, a, it's just a childish thing to do. But in that case, you might be given a diagnosis of a psychopath or a narcissist or something like that. You might just actually have these, these very general childhood attachment issues or borderline personality disorder. Hmm. That's actually very interesting. Um, what are the most um, apparent symptoms that you exhibit when it comes to that? In the literature, it's called splitting. It's basically black and white thinking. It's love and hate. It's yes or no, but it's more extreme than that. And, you know, this can apply to, and this, this is what causes sporadic relationships, right? You can be a best friend. Best friend crosses one line. Normal people would be able to work it out. The borderline sees it as an intense insult on themselves, you know, or something, you know, that they have to just get away from or whatever. I've done this. I've lost friends. You know, I've, I've um, not talked to both of my parents for years at a time, you know, because of these things. It's our own emotional reaction to it. That's going to be the, the biggest problem is splitting, splitting between one and two. And part of cognitive behavioral therapy, is obviously, is identifying your own emotional responses to everything, good and bad, where you make a list of all the things that, that cause you any kind of emotion. And this is in the early days of it. You'd be making a list of everything that affects you emotionally at all, positively or negatively. You'd be writing that down. The things that make you feel good, you'd be wanting to do more of. Things that make you feel bad, you'd want to identify why, see what you can do about it, and what thoughts you can replace it with in, like, you know, basic, I can't, I can't have this, I can't do that. Replacing that thought with, what could I do that would get me in a position to do that? What could I do that would get me in a position to get that at one time? Or whatever it is, right? Rearranging your own thought processes consciously so as not to fall into a negative spiral that is that is cognitive behavioral therapy and it it is the the only real effective thing here for for that um so 
you want to speak about how like symptoms vary from one person to another because I know that you probably exhibit certain symptoms but another person that has the same disorder may exhibit like something completely different they could be they could be pretty different a lot of it is going to be some of it you could identify as like daddy issues mommy issues or both right so someone you might describe like that but they can be given different spectrums. You know, there's different types of borderline personality disorder. So they say four main types is most commonly said, but I don't, I don't really want to get into that because that's not going to matter so much. The, the process of you fixing it or you dealing with somebody who has it is going to be the exact same, whether they react violently towards you or toward themselves or whether they just bottle it all up or whether they even are, maybe they are able to cope. Maybe they do have a job and, you know, they're just, uh, they get caught up in these feelings. I don't know. There's going to be various levels for sure. Uh, different points in my life, I, I most definitely would have felt more hyper BPD and I definitely would have been diagnosed it, especially if you're talking, if a psychologist is talking to me and I'm homeless and I'm stealing food, you know, and, uh, and whatever, I don't have a plan and, and I'm still saying, well, screw authority, I don't have a job. And, uh, like, they're obviously going to diagnose me as, as higher up on whatever their scale is or, you know, a more serious version of it kind of thing. But I do have my stuff together right now, and I'm the same person, and I still have the same uh, actual emotional feelings to things as far as I'm concerned. But I've rearranged my, my thinking and my habits about it to the point where I, I can function properly most of the time at least. you know. But also in, within learning about this, I've become aware enough where I can train the people around me subtly. You know, the, everybody who knows me, who's close to me, does know that I do have emotional issues and that they can't really truly be changed because they happened when I was a kid. You know, my mom knows this. I love my mom. She can't do anything about this, but we know a lot more now. P.S. One of those things that contributes is nutrition, is depression, maternal depression, right? Postpartum depression, they call it, meaning after when a woman's having a child, she's using a lot of her nutritional reserves to build a baby. And this is why she gets more cravings for food and for weird things, you know, dirt and clay and, salt and all, all kinds of stuff they're looking for minerals to build this baby because baby's stealing minerals from them basically they're, they're running on the same reserve that they were before and then after she's still giving her more minerals to feed the baby and breast milk and it depletes the mother and my little brother was born 18 months after me sister came along some years later but we didn't know that mama was being depleted right we didn't know that there wasn't enough in the food supply we can't blame her for that you know we, we can't blame someone for what they don't know but now we know we're here in this conversation. Now she knows. And now she's a different person, quite honestly. And if she, as she is now, raised me attentively when I was a kid like that, I probably would be a completely different person. And I don't mean probably. I mean 100% I'd be a completely different person emotionally. My little sister is a different person emotionally. Having spent way more time, you know, being raised kind of thing. So. That's actually a really good point about um, how it could be um, the postpartum depression thing. It's that's like I I 100% agree with that. So she knows she knows about this. this is the point. Right? Yeah, she's aware of the diagnosis. Uh, anybody who who dates me, whether I like it or not, I'm going to have to tell them. You know, I can bring it. I can be casual about it. You know, they can look at me and be like, "Look, I'm sane. You know, I'm sane. I'm here. I've been given this diagnosis, and it and it is true. And things are good right now. And when you meet somebody, you're going to get the best of the most likely. Right? They're not going to want to. You know taint their appearance they're going to want to appear the best that they can be 
and they're probably not going to want to tell you about this and it probably will come out later i try and bring it out early you know can't say i didn't warn you because i don't know when things are going to happen right and this is like well a regular person i haven't had a job in uh, close to nine years now by choice i knew i couldn't literally couldn't emotionally handle life working couldn't do it you know and by choice i chose in poverty basically you know knew that i was going into to work voluntarily basically for the rest of my life or figure something else okay but really quick question do you think that's actually part of your the symptoms of being borderline absolutely okay and running from the problems particularly but there's not many people that i know or have encountered or in the literature who have actually really gained control of it there are not that many this is is an unfortunate part this is what's worth drilling in is because not only knowing about it not only actually doing the cognitive behavioral therapy for years i've been doing this for 14 years now at least right it's a long time and i'm still not there yet if they're not committed to it they probably most likely will get caught into an addiction a crappy job cycle where they're constantly changing jobs a crappy relationship cycle where they're changing relationships being emotionally unstable in the first place that's really a bad scenario you don't want to be having unstable relationships because those are going to be emotional triggers right so the worst the worse your life is the more that's going to trigger you the worse you're going to react to it most likely you're going to actually die of a drug overdose or you're going to be in jail straight up period you know and uh, this is a sad truth but you can you can get a hold of it the people who are close to me do know that in times of an emotional blackout i might do something irrationally they know how to how to deal with me and let's get into that eric bernie is one of my favorite psychology writers of all time basically and you know he's long dead but his theory of transactional analysis and i don't even know if he's the one that came up with it but he elaborated on it and wrote the book games people play and others but that book games people play is my first introduction to it and i think it's just exceedingly important and it should be taught to uh, first graders. It should, be taught, it should be taught to people throughout life, basically. And the theory goes that, and there's other useful theories of personality and, and humanity and such, but such a useful way to look at it and the three main components of an adult, mature human. We have the child in us, we have the adult in us, and we have the parent in us. And in transactional analysis, the chart pretty much always looks like that. Parent, adult, child. On the other side of the page is parent, adult, child. And the proper relationship should be adult to adult, child to child, parent to child, etc. And problems become problems become apparent when we realize that we're we're acting like a parent to one of our friends, or our girlfriend, or whatever. When we shouldn't be, we should be acting adult to adult, you know, or we're acting like a child, or or whatever. There's a cross. They're not going directly across where they're supposed to. And a lot of the problem here in BPD is, is problems with the child. You know, we can often have the adult. We can, we can get to the adult stage. I'm confident that I've, I've reached the adult stage. You know, I pay my bills. I almost own my house. I'm an adult. I haven't reached the parent stage. But the problem still is within the child. Any of my emotional triggers are going to be with the child. And my, my reaction is going to be the child. So in dealing with somebody with BPD or you have it, recognize that you're being a child, that can be very helpful. But you need, to, you, you don't want to play along with it. If you play along with it, you become a victim. And this is going to be true with a narcissist or a psychopath or anything like that either. That if you feed into whatever they're doing, 
or whatever emotional game they're playing or emotional demand that they're making or they're saying, I'm not good enough. If you feed into that and uh, give them sympathy, it's not going to help the situation at all. And you're probably going to become a victim in the situation as well. It's probably going to emotionally manipulate you, whether they're trying to do it or not. It could very well just be an, a genuine emotional blackout reaction. They're barely even paying attention to you. But you can get sucked into that tornado if you feed into it. So my mom doesn't feed into it. You know, I'm, I'm saying something negative. She's going to say, whatever. She's not going to take me seriously. So what do you want for lunch? You know what I mean? The, and anybody who's close to me should treat me the same way as well. And this is, this is not an everyday thing. This should become more and more rare, obviously, as you get older. And it becomes ingrained into you that if you act like a child, people are going to treat you like a child. You <clears> don't <throat> want to be treated like a child because it's one of the most triggering things that you can have. Right? That's what triggers the violent thoughts. That's what triggers the spiral. You know, you, you can get over that, especially by avoiding it and recognizing it and having other people not, not play into it. You, you, it's different ways to treat a child, right? You can, child's freaking out and saying, I want this. You can just give it to them. I don't think you're helping them, right? You can also ignore them. See, they're being a baby. I'm not going to dignify them with a proper response. You're being a baby. Go to bed, <laughs> you know? For real, it, it actually works. I'll tell you one uh, one story. I had to deal with only one psychologist that ever stuck out to me in my mind, and he did treat me with respect. And I feel confident in talking about this, by the way, partially because of him. Because when I went and met with him, his name was Doctor Yatsinovich. He's a government appointed psychologist, and he said, "You know, you're pretty up to date on BPD. I don't really think you need me to tell you what it is. You know what it is, and you obviously know about C- CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and." You know, you've done it or not, but it's not here for me to tell you to do it because you know you got to do it, you know. And he basically made fun of me, is my point in there, is that he showed me enough respect, let me know that, that we were speaking on an adult-to-adult level by showing me the respect and, you know, that you're intelligent enough to read it, you know. But my life was a mess. You know, I was doing tattoos, scraping by, basically, couch to couch, staying here and there stealing food and he basically bashed me for it he basically disrespected me for it you know saying well what are you gonna do you're gonna you're gonna tattoo board people for the rest of your life you know he's just kind of like look at you he's pointing at me like my shirt's ripped up you know my shoes are falling apart he's got right to look down at me but we were just speaking eye to eye right this i think this was a key moment for me and this might be a key moment you know for anybody listening to this who's never experienced this before that all of these relationships are supposed to be adult, adult. I'm an adult. I speak to my mom like an adult. Maybe it's supposed to be parent to adult, but whatever. I, I never really formed that coherent connection of parent to anything, right? So it's adult to adult. The moment that I'm acting like a child, she should switch to treating me like a child. And it's really the only thing that's going to snap me out of it because I can see it now, right? If I'm lost in the cloud and you come into the cloud with me and you feed into it, you know, and you let me fucking run on with, with my stupid ideas, then, you know, that's not going to help either of us, truly. The next day is probably going to be worse than, than the day that just happened. But you, you can just snap out of it, almost. It's not like, you know, everything becomes super happy all of a sudden. Just you're not allowed to act like a baby anymore if people don't let you. Right? And in this scenario, you could see that a lot of people might not want to deal with this. This might be why these people tend to not have that many friends, really, right? And uh, if, if they're not worth it, right, this is real talk. If I'm not worth it, why is anybody going to put up with my, 
intermittent emotional tantrums, which was kind of where I was at 10 years ago, basically at the, the start of this saying, well, I'm going to get really serious about becoming somebody, becoming somebody worth having a conversation with, becoming somebody that people want to spend time with so that I don't have these weird emotional needs. Like I used to hang out with older men and women, just, you know, especially older men. And this could get you into trouble, right? Where, where am I? I'm out in the streets and stuff. What kind of men are out there? You know, older guys, these are bad influences for the most part. For me, they could have been good influences, but they weren't, you know, and I had to eventually break that and say, well, if, I, if I'm going to become somebody that attracts other people, I got to work on myself. It's not just going to happen falling off the stump. You know, I'm not just going to magically become good at something. I'm going to have to pick some things. I'm going to have to go for it. You know, and it, it took a long, long, long time to become anybody that even I was proud of. But when you get to that point, people come to you and this makes it a lot easier to deal with BPD. You know, a lot of the stuff is about abandonment and all this stuff. It would be stupid for me to say now, oh, nobody likes me. Right? You can say that when you're actually alone. But we have thousands of people who are grateful for what we do. And they tell us that. It's, 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 I can't deny it, basically. It's a reality. And a lot of these people who do reach the other side of the cloud, whether in depression, anxiety, or BPD, you know, they, they have built a life. They've got a construction company. They're, they're a teacher. They do something with their life. You know, they have respect. They got grandkids. They got stuff to do. You know, they got plans. And they're not worried about the old stresses that they used to have. The, they forgive their parents for not being there or for beating them with a belt or whatever it was, right? You just move on. And none of this is a cure itself. We, we talked a lot about action last time. Action still is the cure. And that's what's hidden in here is that none of this is by accident. I could very easily have just fallen into addiction for the rest of my life and been down a hole and been dead, truthfully, you know? And there, there are some other things I actually do want to comment on, but I want to stop again sharing give you a chance to jump in here this can get pretty deep i should have given a warning like hey this could be a dark conversation by the way but honestly i think anybody who knows bpd and is looking for material on that already knows that this is a dark conversation yeah it's there's a lot of information like to you know wrap your head around um but um there's one thing that always like bothers me and i don't know if this is true i don't know if um but don't you think that maybe a lot of people get diagnosed with things just for like maybe they have like symptoms that everybody else has it like for example i'm reading and it says uh, one second okay so one of it is basically like if you um overeating right they're saying that's like that's a symptom overeating um uh, poor self-esteem um one second let me just, i'm trying to like go back to where it was my phone turned off and okay so um go on while so, like those are the, the 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 behaviors that basically people with ppd have that's what they're saying that um, dangerous behaviors in terms of like um, eating disorders, driving recklessly, um, they go on spending sprees, they have unprotected sex, um, they abuse drugs, you already mentioned the drugs thing, um, and they also um, threaten, attempt to suicide or engage in self-harm. Okay, so I understand those two parts, like the suicide and engage in self-harm, but for example, like maybe, you know, driving recklessly or, or 
you know, overeating or any of those other um, things that they engage in, people engage in, does that have to like, basically normal, like, I don't want to say normal because I, I don't believe like, honestly, in, in some, in one way or another, <laughs> we have like, seriously, I'm not like, I'm like trying to make a point and I can't make that point, but um, there's no real such thing as normal. Yes. These, these crazy reactions and these crazy weird relationships with food and danger and, and trust, right? Big problems in, in relationships and behaviors. So let's talk about eating, eating and reckless driving is a very good example. I do but, reckless drive. When but you, I reckless drive. I don't have PPD. I'm talking about but, within that emotional blackout state. I don't mean every day. <laughs> every day i'm a very sensible driver but i'm i'm, I'm just well, i do the I do point, drive fast well, the point i'm but... saying is like they're saying things that other people do as well right reckless driving is clinical when it is done in an attempt to get closer to the possibility of having an accident hmm. in my opinion i didn't read that definition I, I, that would be my definition you're inviting extra danger it's not for a thrill. That would be in a different psychological category. There's no thrill to it. It is out of despair. It is chasing oblivion. So the, you might as well go through that. Avoiding conflict, obviously, is the core problem, right? We do need to confront certain things in life, especially certain emotional problems. And in this case, we're never going to conquer these emotional problems unless we actually do confront them. And if you're dealing with somebody with BPD, if they don't confront them or you don't help them confront them, it's probably not going to happen, right? In a lot of cases, you're better off just walking away if they're not going to even do it. But avoiding conflict leads to running. Running leads to oblivion. It doesn't have to, right? You could run and realize, okay, I don't want to run anymore. I'll go back to work. I'll go back home or whatever, you know. But ob oblivion is heroin, right? Oblivion is reckless driving. Ob oblivion is, you know, severe alcoholism. It's... it's really actually physically blocking out the sensations of reality. Reckless driving is one way to do that. You do get into a kind of a wormhole, right? You're going really fast. You're super emotionally charged. Your hands are gripping. It's close. It's close to a drug reaction. It's close to a hit of cocaine. And it, it does, it can act like a sedative in that way, which is weird. Some stimulants like cigarettes, cocaine can, can act like a sedative in the way that when we come down from it, you know, and it's it's hard to explain. It's hard for me to even get my wrap my mind wrapped around it. But the the stimulant part is very brief, and then the the relaxing part comes after that. And after reckless driving, obviously, if you survive, it's quite a thrill. It's like after sex, basically. And this is I'm not talking about driving driving quickly to get to where you need to go. You can see that this is a different scenario. This is putting your your foot to the pedal and kind of hoping that something's going to happen, but basically not. It's it's not really a suicidal behavior but it's within the same category you know where they, they might overindulge in drugs they don't really want to overdose but they they care less about the consequences the everyday consequences of abuse and if they did happen to overdose they don't care that much either right and uh, it's very similar extremely similar behavior someone could go out drinking the same way they go out reckless driving definitely when i'm angry i don't drink right so like i can't grab the bottle one of the things that comes into my mind is get in your car and drive recklessly. And one of the things is crazy, right? No person might not think that. Get in your car and drive recklessly. But one of the things I've learned in cognitive behavioral therapy is don't do that. You get the you get the thought to do something crazy. Calm down. What is it that you want to do? You're talking about overeating and overspending these kind of things. I've consciously had to put in blocks to this, and a lot of people with this problem will have to consciously put in blocks. 
You know, if people with spending addiction or food addiction, well, you cannot have snacks in the house. We do not have snacks in the house, right? I don't want to eat them anyways, but I just don't want to even go there. I don't even want to go close to their spending habits. We put things on the board. If they cost $20 and we want it, we put it on the whiteboard and it sits there for a while. We think about it, but 24 hours is a reasonable limit, I think, in any destructive thought process or any uh, um, decision to indulge. If you want to go out and binge eat right now, and you know that you've put yourself a personal stopgap of 24 hours, the best you can do is binge eat tomorrow. And you got all day to think about that and whatever, but you just know you're not allowed to do that right now. You can't let yourself do that. Maybe you might not have to go so extreme, but me, I don't, I don't allow myself to go on spending sprees because I, I have to give myself a 24-hour period before I actually make any decision because I have to think about it because I don't know if it's an emotional reaction that I'm having to that product or that fear or that whatever. Yeah, and I know that in 24 hours, it's enough time for me that I'm probably going to think different about it. And if I think the same, then that means I was thinking clearly. And I still, I still want it. I still think it's reasonable. I still want to do that. Okay, let's do it. You know, but uh, that's something a lot of people don't do. You know, they really don't practice the general disciplines. They just go to the mall. Say, I'm just going to go shopping, go to the mall, and they spend $500 on what, what did I even get? Oh, this one doesn't even fit. Whatever, whatever. Wasting money. I've also been poor for a long time, so I don't do these things. You know, I'm going to the store. I'm going to buy one pair of pants. I'm going to buy one pair of shirt, whatever it is. I know exactly what I'm going to get. Maybe there is a little bit of leeway there, but that leeway is already calculated out. So I can't go over budget. I also don't have a credit card. P.S. Talking about overspending. Well, I messed my credit up a long time ago. It's one of the things that can happen if you have a problem like this, right? And again, unstable jobs, unstable relationships, all all these kind of consequences. And and P.S. I mean, I I don't mean to sound disparaging, but there's a lot of things that are contributing to behaviors like this in general, the institution, institutionalization of children, um, the epidemic of divorce, you know, the attitude of scarcity around all these things that uh, bring us apart and insert fear into our lives and contribute to a feeling of aloneness or emptiness. These are all just things that generally contribute to depression. But if these are in the emotional environment of the child, the baby, the toddler, the infant, now you can have a psychological problem years later. There's a lot of babies being born right now in this COVID epidemic. And I think a lot of them are going to be diagnosed with BPD or psychopathology or narcissist later in life because they were born in, a, in an emotionally hostile environment or an, or an emotionally neglectful environment, a time where the culture is for foregoing emotional gratification for safety. Basically, it's a very strange concept it's a very strange trade-off because we're trading off a part of our humanity and the babies that are being born in this world right now and they're not allowed to touch their friends you know grandma's wearing a mask and you know they go to school and they can't play together and whatever this this is in my opinion it's a very dangerous boiling pot and the people who are more institutionalized than me because i avoided this i was good at that i got out of school you know a lot of people can't i was allowed to not go to daycare because i was responsible enough to go home and and whatever lock the door and i never got i never messed that up right my brother on the other hand didn't and i don't mean to to bash my brother's dead i don't mean to bash family members and uh, or anything and i don't even really mean to make it personal except that this is a very personal thing bpd is very personal and anybody's gonna have their story like this and i i've always thought about this my brother was smart he knew about his own problems with this stuff as well and the problem with him in my mind was that he was more institutionalized than i was I went home and I remember I was mostly alone. Where was he? He was in daycare. Right? He was in using some kind of more institutionalized set, setting. He was at the babysitter, you know, 
he was having more problems even with with forming attachments in my opinion and, and problems that come along with this too by the way lying pathological lying um and it can be heartbreaking too for some of these people especially if they're smart enough to be aware of it it's kind of a curse and like i said my brother was very smart so he was aware of what he was doing and sometimes you know could you imagine being aware that you're making all the wrong decisions pretty much every day in life the, the moment you open your mouth something comes out of you it's a lie you didn't mean to lie but now you have to go along with it you can see the despair well, in, in some of these people's eyes and i've dealt you with just said many that people like they're this. doing it purposefully purposefully so they did mean to lie right it's on purpose. Well, they they did it. They're aware that they're doing it, but they don't want to do it. I guess is a better is a better way to put it. Just like addiction, right? A lot of people are fully aware that the drug or the drink or the, the whatever is destroying their life. It's hurting the people around them, and they still can't stop, right? And it's very similar to lying, to compulsive stealing, compulsive avoidance, right? Some of these people can just scurry their way away from society. They scurry their way away from the family. You don't even hear from them. What happens? They find them in a gutter one day, right? And, you know, it is disparaging because what these people have to do is pretty tremendous. They have to get, gain conscious control of their mind. And you can't even say, like, reset their emotional landscape because it doesn't seem to work that way. You really can't seem to go in and fill those gaps that they were given in childhood. And that's not the appropriate response. You know, the child is gone. That's just period. We have to work on the adult responses to it and making sure that the adult doesn't slip back into the child. And you can still get fulfillment in life and all this stuff. And you can be successful and you can have family and you can whatever, make something yourself. You don't need to slip into the child. And, you know, mama didn't tickle your feet. Well, but but could it be that like they're like I said, because I just that stuck to me, like if somebody's doing something like on purpose, so they're purposely lying or whatever. Is it because they're just trying to get a reaction, right? They're trying to like get. No, 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 not at all. They're trying to control their experience. Hmm. They're trying to control their narrative. That's part of why lying is so deeply tied into psychopathology and narcissism because their version of the world is caught up in the story of who they are rather than who they are, if that makes sense. And that's not the core de- definition of either of those things, but in my experience, uh, it has a lot to do with it, that their energy, their mental energy is much more focused on, on their own story, the story of themselves, the story of what they tell other people. And within that are all kinds of little stories, and many of them are lies. And that's what it comes down to. And since when you do, when you are in the habit of lying, whether voluntary or not, you have to keep a very detailed log of what you've lied about. And you have to connect that into the overall story that you've written basically in your head. You basically have a novel of yourself in your head that you use to draw upon to answer people's questions. This can be so mentally exhausting. And this is, this is part of why some of these people do go mad, you know, or they do turn to violence for themselves or, or others, I think, you know, partially because this is, this is also exhausting. All these catalogs are so exhausting. And they might be lacking empathy or remorse or whatever, but whatever their mission is, it, part of that is weaving their own story about themselves and making themselves look better. And a lot of that has to do with lies. How do you avoid that? You, build, you actually make yourself a better person rather than lying about it. You actually become an interesting person rather than lying about things that never happened, you know, that might be interesting to people, that kind of stuff, right? This is just an immature, childish thing that we think that we need to uh, be somebody else or say a lie in order to be interesting. And when you're a child, all children are prone to lying. It's a very, very normal thing. All throughout the world, every culture, you know, just, we just teach it out of our children, right? Sometimes we smack it out of them. 
just like we talked about before, when you treat someone like a child, you know, the, it's one of the ways that they recognize that they're not being good. One of the things that children want to do is get out of that pretty quickly, right? I don't want to be treated like a child. I want to be treated with respect. Well, you got to earn it. Okay, eat your broccoli and now, you know, I'm not going to spank you or whatever it is, right? You know, do things properly, stay up a little bit later. And did, I had tons of freedom just because I didn't, um, didn't drug tantrums, you know? So it's the same in, in adult life, right? If we realize that we're being like children and, and we're coming up with these things, you know, for a story of ourselves and not for ourselves, part of that response is taking the action to become a better person. And that, that requires a lot, a lot of effort, you know? I don't know if I went totally mm-hmm. off topic there for you, Sherry. But no, it, it, no, no. The question about um, that? Well, you've answered it. Um, let me see what else. So I, you, you've already spoken about yourself a lot and you've basically covered how it, it kind of affects, well, it doesn't kind of, it does affect your personal life. And P.S., let me, just, let me expand on that now, is that I haven't necessarily fixed it. The only thing that I've done is arranged my life so that some of these things don't matter, right? I do still have a problem with authority. But- I do still get but, crazy reactions of being told what to do, but now I don't have my own business. Is, is you're aware job, of it. Right? So when you're doing something and you're reacting to something, you know that okay, I'm do I'm 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 reacting to it the wrong way and you know how you're reacting to it and you know how to react to it the right way, right? Well that's what cognitive behavioral therapy But is. that's what I'm saying. Like so you're aware where other people are not aware. People probably are not even diagnosed with it. Like they don't even know they have it, you know? So that's the difference. It's true. And even if they didn't have it though, if they had any of these types of behaviors, the same strategies would be useful in them. And for a lot of people, it's probably easier, truthfully, from what I gather from the general psychology literature, a lot of these behaviors, a lot of normal, completely normal people, could be compulsive stealing at some time in their life or compulsive lying or something like that. And it's just something that could be deal with, dealt with quite easier than dealing with deep emotional trauma. Yeah. Kind of thing. I just want to say there's no such thing as normal people. Seriously. It's just people that probably were never diagnosed with anything because they never seeked help. Right. And there's people that are aware of what's going on in their bodies and they're in their minds and they go and seek help and that's how they get diagnosed. But I don't really think like there's such thing as normal people. I think everybody is, if you're going to go like to a therapist or something, they're going to diagnose you with something 100%. I believe that. I agree. I agree. And uh, it's the same with nutrition too. That's why we don't like the FDA's uh, recommended daily allowances. They're based on an average person that doesn't exist. So it is more, it's always going to be more particular. There's a couple things I want to talk about in a little bit more detail here. Um, abandonment. Abandonment's going to be a key word that's going to come up for a lot of people. But abandonment behaviors or abandonment avoidance behaviors, they seem to be more or less rampant, truthfully, in overall society. So one of the ways that I've dealt with it, and the same thing, by the way, if you have a deep-seated actual childhood built-in fear of abandonment, something happened when you were a kid or whatever, um, that, that needs to really be dealt with. And P.S. It, it, BPD doesn't really, you don't have to be abandoned, right? I mentioned I had two parents. My dad was around until I was 14. You know, they, they were there. They could, I was certain that they existed, you know, that I was going to run into them kind of thing. They just weren't much part of my emotional world. But that's not what the fear of abandonment is, 
necessarily about it could be you know but it, it is just more about fear that you're not good enough that's what it really comes down to fear that you're not good enough is why would somebody abandon you because you're not good enough right they can't abandon you if you're irreplaceable and it can be a bit of a monumental task to become somebody who is irreplaceable and i said i've been doing this for 14 years doing this meaning personal development consciously and i'm only finally beginning to become the type of person who i feel is irreplaceable who does offer a special unique value to the world take that key phrase there that's something that should be instilled into every child anyways right well your mom or your grandmom or whoever is raising you by by the way it doesn't need to be a parent it needs to be someone but whoever's raising you tickling your feet you know all they have to do is instill into your mind that you are special and unique and you have a unique value in this world that's one of the key things to communicate into a child brain so it can take you a long time to gain that on your own you know, if you weren't told that when you were a kid, literally, you need to be told that in whatever language you speak, or you don't understand that. We're not built in with that, in my opinion. So if you go through life with that, then that could be a huge, huge, huge problem. And for most of these people, this all the suicide, drugs, da, 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 avoidance, a lot of this has to do with fear that I'm not good enough. And that whole personal development thing is accepting, you're right, I'm not good enough. Accepting that, okay, well, I'm young and, or, or whatever, I'm behind, but I'm going to start committing right now and I'm going to start to be proud and happy of the small achievements that I make, meaning every book that I read or page that I read or whatever that needs to be celebrated, every sale that I make, every you know, seminar that I go to, I need to reward myself and, and pat myself on the back and recognize that I am doing something to become a better person. Why? Because the better person is less likely to be abandoned. And this is probably something that should be in us as well. But also, when you're in a strong family or clan environment, you're going to feel like you're part of the clan anyways kind of thing, you know? And they're probably going to need you anyways. Like, you know, someone's got to come out and hunt with us or whatever. You know, you are, you are needed. But in this modern world, it's very easy to be alone and isolated and not be needed. Who needs you? Who needs you? Right? I remember growing up in a house. Who needs me? No one's here. Right? What is it? Garbage man need me? Does the mailman need me? No one needs me. You know? And you have to actually build responsibilities into your life, especially if you're somebody with a behavioral problem that causes you to either really hate working like me or physically not be able to work because you snap on somebody when they tell you what to do and you beat your boss up and you did two years in jail for it. Now you, you know, not a lot of people are going to be in that state, but truly a lot of people that know somebody with BPD, it's probably, you're going to hear stories like, Oh yeah, man, my older brother had it, but I don't really talk to him anymore. Why? Because these people are so unstable, right? They probably have gotten themselves into trouble in life and, and such. So I, I'm, I was focusing there on, on abandonment because that is the key. The only way to get over abandonment, at all is to build the confidence and it, not only people sit saying like oh well, you know i'm here you know my mom i know my mom's there man you know, that's not what's going to get me over the fear of abandonment you have to become a person that can't be abandoned that's it you have to build the confidence in yourself that why would they abandon you they need you man right and this this could be a huge task you're coming from nothing 14 years still going and i'm only becoming finally able to accept that I'm a lot less likely to be abandoned now than the next guy because I spent all this time building myself into a unique, special person. And I hope that wasn't too much no, detail, Sherry, but I think it's an extremely important point. But that, that is one thought that's missing from the BPD person. The BPD person, the, the psychopath, the narcissist, a lot of it, right down there, scratch to the bottom, it's going to be fear that I'm not good enough, period. And that's going to be dominating the, the whole spread of problematic behaviors that, that can be cataloged in here. And a lot of it's just going to be, they're going to end up with a different diagnosis because the tree falls different ways when you hack it down. But it's the same root. It's the same problem. Fear that I'm not good enough. 
And that is something that we can consciously do something about. And that is something that we can also consciously enforce in the people that we know. That if you do know somebody with this, you don't have, when they're throwing a hissy fit, you don't need to buy into it. But you can also go out of your way when they're doing that. Or just in regular life, you can remind them that you love them. And that you're not, you're not going anywhere, you know, and you're throwing your hissy fit now, whatever else. I'll talk to you tomorrow, you know. You'll be fine kind of thing. You shouldn't stress that much about it. But letting them know they're not, they're not going to be abandoned. And I don't mean physically. I also mean emotionally. You know, letting people know that, you know, no matter who you are. Because we can beat ourselves up for our failures too, right? You're talking about personal development. Well, you're going to try some things and go for it. You're going to fail a lot because that's what success is. you got to fail a bunch of times to be successful. So part of this abandonment things is that is them not being aware of that. Them not being comfortable with that. That they think a lot of people, especially with these behavioral problems, that if they go and they try something and they fail, first they might think, I'm unlikely to fail. It's just a depressed thought that you can replace in cognitive behavioral therapy. But they might think that if I, if I fail, and other people are going to make fun of me, and I'm going to be even less of a person. I'm going to feel even worse. I'm going to be validated in my opinion that I'm not good enough, basically. So it could be avoiding doing things. And one of the things that you could do is be supportive of the ventures of the people you know, that you know that are doing stuff, whatever they're doing. They're trying to be... They're trying to be an artist, they're trying to be a musician, they're trying to get a job, they say they're going to school, you can support them and you can know that they might fail, you can know that they might go to school and drop out, they, they might come home depressed, that's fine, you, you're aware of that, you're aware that they're going to fail a bunch of times and letting them know that too because they might not know that, they might not know that, yo, people drop out of school sometimes, man, sometimes, sometimes you think that job's going to be good and it's not, sometimes you think that relationship's going to be good and it's not, and you got to do the next one, you know, Edison failing 9,000 times or whatever for his light bulb before he got the right one same old stories you know and again a lot of people just don't know this this is not common i'll just talk to us as children that you need to fail a ton of times some people are blessed with this information when they're young but very likely these people with these personality problems are going to have super high expectations of themselves that that aren't realistic right the people they think that people expect more of them they think that people need them to be more they think that they need to be more interesting they think they need to lie to be more interesting they think they need to steal to be more interesting they think they need to do drugs to be more interesting all this kind of stuff Right, so did, did that make sense? Like, is is that a is that a um, useful thing to tell people? What part is it the whole is it the whole thing you're talking about, or like, is if somebody you know with BPD or yourself has has gone for it, they say, okay, you know what, I'm going to control this. I'm going to start doing something, and they come back and they say, okay, well, I'm going to go to college, or I'm going to do whatever they decide they're going to do to be a bigger person. You know that they're likely to fail at first try, whatever it is. It's a business, whatever. They're going to fail. Or they're going to come home feeling depressed at some time, and that's fine. You need to let the person with abandonment issues know, and the person who has the fear that I'm yeah. not good enough know, that it's okay to fail. Oh, This but, is actually this is one of the things that can contribute this to is mental people illness. Is people being BPD. punished for failure. It's not just like for people with that um, the mental illness. It's people for everybody. That's, you know, because... Everybody feels that way in terms of like knowing that, hey, if I'm if I'm going to do this, am I going to fail? And and it's OK to fail. It's not just you or you know what I mean? It's everybody. So, yeah, it's absolutely very um, important. Well, it the, first, the person with yes, BPD could, could fall off the cliff yes. if they fail, basically. Yes, right? yes. It could be a total emotional nightmare for them, you know, and you could you could buy into that or you could be like, here, look at people fail, man. That's it. Right? And just treating them like the child that they're acting like in that time because the child needs to be taught some things. And, and, and part of this with adults with, with BPD is they really haven't learned this. And 
you know, in the health business, I say it sometimes, kind of annoys people sometimes. I say that what we do with the Wallach Warriors account and in general in our business is nutrition kindergarten. And, you know, I had to learn this late in life too, so whatever. You know, but we all had to go back to kindergarten and learn some basics that we didn't learn. And people with BPD or psychopathology or narcissists, whatever, there's a lot of stuff they missed in emotional kindergarten that they need to go back to. And a lot of this stuff is totally self-evident for a, a person just out there walking around. You know, they're just like, they never so, occurred to them that they're not a specially unique individual, and, you know, that they're valued I, and that they're allowed to make something. mistakes. Why do you think that it affects certain people while it doesn't affect other people? Like, say, if you went through the same circumstances or you went through certain circumstances and another person went through a, the same exact circumstances, but you got the disorder and he didn't, why do you think that happens? Well, if you really went through the same circumstances, no, it I mean, like, me. it doesn't have to That's be exactly thing. the same, but basically very similar. Well, borderline doesn't correlate well with uh, with twins separated and stuff. So it does show mm-hmm. that it is mostly an environmental problem. There could be physical things that contribute to it. Um, I, I don't want to reach too far here, but, you know, it's worth mentioning that I was also born with birth defects, bone joint, muscle problems, and talked about my mama being depleted, where it's like, I was depleted. And that very likely contributed to how I react with the whole entire world, because I knew that physical things was largely out for me, right? It's very hard for me to act out if I can't move properly, right? So I have to act in. That, that, could, that could affect yeah. the overall personality, how it, how it comes out. And someone, someone being, like my brother, for instance, my brother was not diagnosed with BPD, but he had other troubling diagnoses that were in the same category and that he was aware of. And in my opinion, this probably just BPD probably just had it a bit worse than me. And I already mentioned, how did he have it a bit worse than me? It's because our environment was not the exact same. He went to daycare and babysitters more than I did. You know, just that's it. One major difference. And it seemed to make a big enough of a difference. And I keep in mind, too, things compound in life, right? Our early friends are going to influence us take us down different directions. If you go to hockey practice and you practice, you might become a hockey player, that kind of thing. So anybody really having the exact so, same circumstances, it's really hard for me to say that. Yeah. Um, especially because it, it hold on one, one second, it, it, cause it doesn't even matter here if it's a one or two parent household. It doesn't matter if one parent's dead. It doesn't matter if you're being raised by your grandma, all that stuff doesn't matter. In the case of BPD, it matters of whether you were given the emotional bonding of parent to child early on, period. You know, whether you were given the basic confidence of love and, and your own specialness and uniqueness in the world that is communicated through somebody looking at you, staring you in the eyes, tickling your damn feet, you know, and that that really is it. So if somebody you can't replicate that. Right. So what does my situation look like? I had two parents that were at home. You know, they both worked. They both had jobs. We were, we were middle class. You know, what I mean, we had a house, we had two cars in the driveway. What's wrong? Right. It's, it's a basic emotional detachment. There's many things that could lead to that. You could leave a kid in a box. And they could be raised by wolves. They're going to also have similar emotional problems. But actually, the wolves will probably nuzzle them. <laughs> and they probably will have a deep emotional bond to them. Right? So when you're saying that, what if somebody is also neglected when they're a child and they turn out different? I do imagine them to turn out different. Do I imagine them to turn out fine? No. There's no evidence of that. There is evidence of people who are being able to be abused, physically abused. Kids have been put in dungeons and kept in dungeons and gang raped. And they turn out what we would call fine. Emotionally so, yeah. stable, Why does stable that relationship, stable job, I don't understand. all that kind of stuff. 
because because one of them is a problem with emotional bonding and it's not abuse you're not necessarily no, if, if you're you may hate abused, your mother it's still emotional 100% that it's there's no bonding right um but they're paying attention to you. They're paying attention to you. They're actively part of your emotional world. Maybe you have to avoid them. Maybe you have to trick them. Maybe you have to manipulate them. In in my world, in my in the orphans mindset world, there are no adults to interact with. There is no games to play with them. They don't exist in our emotional world. If that makes sense. And though that but type of the paying attention that you're talking about is it's a negative one. It's not a good one. So it should affect them negatively, but it doesn't. Sure. Absolutely. And they still need to overcome their own challenges in life to be able to make it. But when they make when they make it as an adult, they tend to have different problems than than the BPD one, or they tend to have no problems. They actually tend to be able to get completely over it. Truly, abuse has been studied pretty pretty clearly. You know, we know that the criminal is more likely to have been abused than otherwise. But it, just because you're abused is absolutely no determiner of your fate. You can totally turn that around and show no yeah. negative psychological symptoms in the end of it. Whereas that's not the same with BPD. The, the BPD, the, the trauma is in the neglect and the failure of a bond, the failure of an attachment. And it seems to be just like languages in children. You know, they have a short window where they can, they can absorb three, four, five, six languages, no problem. And then after that, it's very, very, very difficult. Maybe impossible, right? Not practically impossible, but... Most of us just aren't going to do it. We're not going to put that amount of effort in. It's nowhere near as easy as it was when it was a child. And for me, and, and establishing positive, real, confident, emotional connections with other human beings has taken my entire life. Right, And that's, that's not necessarily going to be the same with some abuse victims, but some of them it is. Some of them can be traumatized so severely that they will fall into these categories. You know, but there's going to be so many circumstances. And that's why the literature on this is interesting, by the way. And that's why the diagnoses are only useful to an extent. And we realize these things exist in clusters. But there's no there's no just one gene and one thing that happens when you when you have BPD or any of these personality problems. And there's no one thing that contributes to it other than in the case of BPD, the direct emotional absence in the early life. And that early life is vague. Right. What does that mean? Does that mean the first year? Well, my mom was on maternity leave and I, I was breastfed. So I don't imagine that that was the real critical time. And in fact, the fact that I was breastfed and stuff probably means that I'm not in jail right now. That could have been the difference. Could have been that if mom didn't breastfeed me, she fed me formula that didn't have enough nutrients in it anyways. Didn't spend that time with me when I was the youngest. I might have been a total reckless psychopath right now, you know, or a gang member or something like that. And proud of it, you know, and Again, it could have been two to three, two to five, two to whatever. The longer it is, probably the worse off, you know. But how many people you know who really went, went through that many full-on years of, of severe emotional neglect? Usually they get put in the foster home or, or something. In my case, I went outside. It was just it's all I could do. I went outside. I met people, for better or worse, right? went out just on the street and see what happens and who we can meet with, who we can hang out with, you know. But sitting there in loneliness will probably destroy your mind. That's the severest form of it. We know that children, most children will actually die if you don't touch them. It's not, it's not a made-up hippie thing. If you don't touch babies in an orphanage, they will most likely die. If they live, they will become severely problematic. So this is really drilling into your question about what, if, what about somebody in the same circumstance? Well, in that orphan condition, we know this very generically. All of them will have a problem if we don't do something about it. None of them will turn out correctly if we don't put some sort of emotional stimulus into it. 
And for somebody having the exact same circumstances as you, it's extremely rare. It's extremely unlikely. I don't expect anybody to have my exact experience. I don't expect anybody to have your exact experience. They can only have similarities. And so the diagnosis can only have, we can only have similarities. That's why there's so many different things they can grab from when making a diagnosis. So many different symptoms that can come into play here because we are all different in our, so are our life paths. And so our, our responses, we could have the same emotional response. It doesn't mean we do the same thing about it with our hands. We might do something different. You're in a different circumstance. You got different tools. You got different resources. You got different people. All that. So I over answered it, but there's not going to be any two people the same. And we are reliably going to create problematic personalities if we neglect them early in life. Mm, I see. All right. I'm looking over my notes here. Pretty much, I covered pretty much yeah, everything I that, that I did want to cover. I guess I could recap it though. That having kind of thrown nutrition to the side at first, definitely should mention that most definitely nutrition does impact us anyways. That sometimes those emotional blackouts, they can stretch for such long periods of time and they can take over your life. My opinion is that is actually a nutrient deficiency, a multi-nutrient deficiency. We know that several direct deficiencies create what we know as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, ADD, ADHD, you know, just general bad behavior in children, stuff like that, and even autism, blood sugar problem directly linked, directly linked to nutrition. So all of that will, of course, contribute to your life. In my own life, I mentioned that I, I was born with birth defects. So it means I also lived in pain. And of course, that also contributed to it. Go back to that feeling of abandonment. I'm not good enough. Well, what if you're actually in pain? What if you have chronic stomach pain? What if you have chronic headaches? What if you're overweight? What if you're really unconscious about your body, self-conscious about your body for a reason, that there's something wrong with your body? That could be a possibility as well, right? Some of us are having physical contributors to depression, not just in our blood sugar reactions, like that whole list of problems, but also in the way that we actually feel about our bodies and our actual relationship to the body and our actual physical relationship to the, to the real world. That was part of my problem as a bone problem contributed to my feelings of not being good enough, contributed to my fear of abandonment, etc. blew out of proportion, not only my reactions to things, but the things that I would do to get respect for myself, right? We're talking about violence and, and bad behaviors too. It could be, could be good or bad. Chances are a person with less resources and they don't have parents around or whatever, probably they're going to choose something bad to impress the people around them. It's easier to do, you know, so this could, this could lead you down a very bad path and taking all this into consideration, it's going to take a lot of effort. You can use the nutritional strategies. Obviously we recommend everyone take care of their health. Anyways, it's critical to life and it's critical to how you function on every other level. And then when you are dealing with BPD, I would start with cognitive behavioral therapy very seriously, set out time to do it every day. If you know somebody, if it's a child, you know, make that the biggest priority that there is, you know, and take it one step at a time. And it can seem lame. It's, you don't need to make it fun or whatever. It just needs to be done. It's very straightforward, actually. I don't even mind it doing it myself. And along with, along with CBD, you do want to take into consideration the parent-adult-child relationship. You do want to read games people play. Don't watch a video on it. It's not enough. I would buy that book. If it costs $100 on Amazon, it won't. If it does, it's worth it. It's worth a thousand. It's worth reading several times and memorizing. It's worth putting those charts up on your wall for a while and and really, really thinking and, and dissecting in your own mind your own relationships, parent, adult, child, how that reflects on other people, if they're appropriate relationships, what parts of those 
ones that are not are your fault. What can you do about it? How are you reacting to things? You know, what could you replace those thoughts with? What could you what could you do to build yourself into an actual better person who is less likely to be abandoned, who can actually take care of themselves, right? Remember, your life sucks. You got a lot to complain about. So you're what you're diagnosed now with a psychological disorder. You're not working, probably broke, might be on drugs. What do you do, right? You're going to have to identify steps that you can do to better yourself. You're going to need to set realistic expectations about that. You're not going to expect to apply to Harvard University and get in, right? And and just go off the deep end when you don't get in. You need to be realistic about things. What are you going to do? I'm going to read one book per day. I'm going to set 30 minutes per day to do this. I'm going to contact people for this for 30 minutes, whatever. You have to take active, conscious effort into becoming successful. And when you do that, that takes away a lot of our mental strain. A ton of what is called mental illness, in my opinion, is really financial mismanagement. Is that fair to say? A lot of what is considered mental illness out there is really financial mismanagement and stress due to bad finances and the things that we might have to do to make up for that in life, like take a second, third job, whatever, not see our kids, any number of things. Maybe commit a crime, that's not likely, but, you know, all kinds of stresses and, and problematic situations that can arrive from, the, from that stress. And this can be hugely impactful in the person who has BPD or schizophrenia for that matter, right? Someone with mental illness probably doesn't have much money. Well, that makes them powerless. That doesn't make them feel any better about themselves. That doesn't make it any more likely that someone's not going to abandon them, you know? Not good. So taking control of life, taking control of health, taking control of the finances, taking control of growth is really the best that we can do. And if you are dealing with people who you know have it, you do want to be patient with them. And hopefully they do have enough value to make it worth it because, you know, in most cases in the early years, it's going to take a long time to, and just being, being nice isn't enough. Being special isn't enough. We do have to offer a value to somebody in excess of the burden that we put on them. And as somebody is getting control of this, they are probably still going to be an emotional burden on some people around them. Sometimes, at least sometimes it might be once a year, it might be once every two years, it might only come up because something happened and you got laid off and whatever, but do need to deal with this or it's not going to heal itself. Basically, well, I re- drugs. Not I, I just do want to say that, that I do appreciate the fact that you kind of spoke about that and you, um, in terms of like um, people who are in a relationship with people with a with um, BPD and um, you know it's 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 very valuable because a lot of times people don't know how to like, um, you know, they don't know how to, they'll probably do the wrong thing thinking it's right in terms of like my um, dealing with the situation or dealing with their loved ones or friends or whoever it is. So I think that was very valuable. And especially, and, and, and especially it's coming from a person that. Well, it would totally seem crazy. That exhibits these, you know, these symptoms. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Sherry, yep. I think I think we've covered it pretty much. Cool. You talk yeah, a that's lot. That's good. Seventy minutes. Wow. <laughs> I think this is episode eighteen or something. Well, this is a lot. There's a lot to fit in here. No, I've it's, honestly, it's not even enough. But there, to be there honest, there is quite a lot to like say. Like it's really, really interesting it, to look. There's into. more to even talk about if if we're ever gonna do this again yeah so it's 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 never enough to talk about um there is mental illness and the good thing about 
um, about this is there's a lot of people out there who feel like they're alone. They don't know what to do. You know, they don't know how to um, connect. And this is something that I'm sure there's a lot of things that are valuable for them, you know? So, I mean, I remember when I was depressed, I, I needed to connect with somebody. I needed to know that there's people that are actually going through the same thing and it makes you feel better. It makes you kind of say, okay, hey, there's other people out there that are going through the same thing so I can get through this. So, yeah. I definitely agree. And Sherry, let me comment on that in, in kind of closing. And a lot of other psychiatric problems, depression just especially, if you look it up on YouTube, there are mainstream TED Talks, there are mainstream people that you know and respect, mainstream celebrities who are out there talking about depression and saying that exact same thing, saying, you're not alone. There's lots of us who experience this. Even me, the big movie star, right? There's not, that, or the professor, whatever. There's not that many people who are out there saying, I have borderline personality disorder, but I still made it. I'm still a senator. I'm still a whatever. It's rare, right? And there, there is quite a lot of people out there dealing with it. Most of those diagnoses floating around there are going to be in their, you know, twenties to thirties, maybe late teens, that kind of thing. There's a, there's a sort of a sort of a short window here. The older generations wouldn't have been diagnosed with this. Newer generations are more likely to be diagnosed with other behavioral problems, like we said at the beginning, ADD, ADHD, until they get to a point where their their adult relationships are really a problem and they're looked at under a bit of a different light from a different psychologist, probably, and diagnosed with borderline personality disorder so there there is not a, a celebrity out there that i know of that's out there saying you're not in this alone right and actually i kind of want to contradict that a little bit because not only due to the actual lack of spokespeople for this problem you kind of are in it alone you kind of are in it alone and th that is actually one of the key things to accept in my opinion is that it is going to be largely on you it's not the responsibility of your boyfriend or your mom or your whoever to take care of you and to to treat you well so that you don't have these fits or whatever. It's not their business to arrange their life to, to benefit you. It's your business to arrange your life so that you're not a problem on other people. Or straight up, you will be a problem to other people and they will not keep you around. You know, so the if if you do not take this seriously and you do not expect to do this completely alone, because again, I told you you don't need a, a therapist to do cognitive behavioral therapy. They'll tell you that. They'll tell you, yeah, you don't need to pay me 450 bucks an hour. You, you, know, you can take this book and if you actually do this, it should help you, right? They're not going to say it's going to cure you. They say it should help you. That's the truth. You know, so it's not on your mom to do that for you. She's not going to do cognitive behavioral therapy for you. Chances are you're going to cross your arms and say, this is stupid. I don't want to do it anyways, right? It, it's on you. And it doesn't matter what celebrities are experiencing it, whether they're talking about it or not. You're the solution. You're the only solution. No one was going to save me, truthfully. And uh, to me... One of, the, one of the positive things on this is that the, the misery that comes with a crappy life, right, that comes with addiction, that comes with being broke and comes with having crappy relationships, that's just not worth it. There's so much pain involved that taking the small steps into bettering your own life and bettering your own person, becoming a bigger person, that's what you're going to need to do to make it in life anyways. And that is what's going to distract you from this. And uh, I guess on closing, closing, closing remarks, some of these people are so extreme that, the, and myself included, that to me, that is actually a benefit. It's one positive thing that I can harness from having this crappy diagnosis that, it, that is very real in my life and being able to use that extremism to focus into my business, to focus into my studies and to take it with such seriousness. It's probably the only thing that actually helps me. I think if I did this 
with half of my butt, I wouldn't have done it. I don't think I would have made it. You know, I, I think I had to put my head down and do it. And there's years and years and years and years that I've just spent reading books about myself, doing these stupid CBD, CBT exercises now and then, you know, over the years, of course, it adds up to such significant time on all this. And uh, no one could have done it for me. No one should have done it for me. And in fact, if they tried to do it for me, I probably would have rejected it flat out. No, well, that was, wasn't too deep and dark. Was, but I think it it's a good, good point to leave it. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's call yeah. it a day for now. We'll take some notes and we'll come back for the next one later. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate you joining me, Sherry. I appreciate appreciate everybody for listening. And definitely, obviously, you know, this is a serious topic. So you feel free to reach out about this at any time. And uh, if you're dealing with it or someone you know, probably going to be dealing with this a long time so well, get ready for the long haul and yeah and don't welcome you to come negative. back with <laughs> questions there's 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 a light there's a light at the end of the tunnel you're, you're like they're gonna be okay right well one last positive thing i just mentioned the extremism can be turned around they're also probably smart and actually if they were dumb they probably wouldn't have been given a diagnosis of bpd they probably would have been given some other diagnosis it's the truth. So you're probably dealing with a, an intelligent, fully capable person who, if they put themselves, if they truly put themselves into something, they're probably going to do it well in the end. Right. And they probably are going to be a big person in the end. All right. You too, Ryan. Cool. Well, have a good day. You too. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk.